And greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line on a Tuesday. Tuesday of first Christmas. <laughs> uh, that's also known as Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, it's actually going to only be in the 70s here in Phoenix, so I'm all bundled up. Because <laughs> after the summer we had, <laughs> where it frequently didn't get anywhere near the 70s at the coolest part of the day, then uh, this is like, ooh, Arctic. It's great. It's wonderful. I, I would. I'm really hoping. Please, please, just just one good winter storm before Christmas, you know, or the dark skies and windy and rainy. I mean, rain. That would be just any would be nice. We are in the middle of a drought. Uh, that's, that's unbelievable. But anyways, um, we want to be upbeat as much as we can today. <laughs> I almost didn't have a computer to use today. Some of you know that uh, Mac OS Big Sur came out and. Um, this you got you got to give this laptop this particular one some real kudos. I mean, it has been sitting here for a very very long time. It was my main unit for a long time. Then it came in here. Uh, I don't even know what what year it actually is, but it has done a great job. This is uh, why doesn't it say? It normally says right. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, late 2013, okay, late 2013 in computer life is like really, really ancient. And so, um, an hour ago I decided, I'll go ahead, I'll install it. (laughs) It said, I think it said 29 minutes. It took an hour, uh, it's old and it's tired, uh, but it, it did a great job. I'm still very thankful for this particular unit. It's uh, it's it's done great. Anyways, so I've I've got this funky background that I've never seen before for Big Sur on it, and uh, and that's different. But anyway, uh, as long as it's uh, as long as it's working. Hey, uh, before we jump into a Bible study uh, today, primarily, I, I want to focus on that. Um, uh, two things. Uh, let me offend uh, the easily offendable. I just listened to, I think, yesterday's um, blog and May blog uh, from Doug Wilson and really enjoyed it. Um, and I'd recommend it to you. And I would also recommend to you the Canon Press app, uh, which uh, I just got on my phone, which is uh, really, really nice. And uh, we should uh, take a look at that, Rich, because it automatically brings the mo- blog and May blog thing in and stuff like that. And apps are apps are nice. Uh, so someday we'll 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 catch up with uh, everybody and get a get an app out there and uh, be able to do the same thing with the dividing line. But uh, check it out, listen to it. And then I saw this thread on Twitter, and I just wanted to read it to you because it is fascinating for those of you who love, like I do, church history. And uh, that is uh, from uh, Dirk Yonkend. He, uh, he wrote, uh, We all know the order of the new books of the New Testament by heart. When the Tyndale House Greek New Testament... This is uh, my... Tyndale House Greek New Testament. My, uh, my Jeffrey Rice version of the Tyndale House Greek New Testament. Probably the nicest... I'll bet you Dirk Yonkend. I'll bet Dirk Yonkend does not have as nice an edition of his own Greek New Testament, as I do. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thought. <clears throat> anyway, uh, somebody else will end up with it someday anyways. But anyway, uh, when the Tyndale House Greek New Testament was published, we changed the order 
and put James through Jude between Acts and Romans. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, the first time you open it up and try to, you know, you're trying to find something, you know, Acts takes you all the way. Okay, this is, I'll, I'll show you here. Here's, here's the end of, uh, here's the end of Acts. All right, so you're, yeah, you're, you're over halfway through. And there's James right after, right after Acts. And you're like, and there's First Peter, and there's Second Peter, and there's First John, and so you try, and then there's Romans. For, well, there's Second, and Third John, and then there's Romans, and you're like, you're you're thumbing through stuff, going, what happened here? Uh, has the canon been messed with? Well, okay. Uh, in the Greek manuscript tradition, Acts and James to Jude go together with few exceptions. But where this normal versus modern order of gospel acts Romans come from? I always thought, this is Dirk Youngkin speaking, this was due to Latin influence, but it wasn't. Also in Vulgate manuscripts, James through Jude go with acts, according to Carrer 2020. The correct answer surprised me. Our current order, ready, is solely an innovation by Erasmus. How stunning that one man's decision has such an enormous and largely unacknowledged influence on our Bibles. And then there's a reference to the study from this M. Carrer uh, on the subject of um, uh, Codex Reuchlin and so on and so forth that you can, you can look up. So what he's saying is the order that we have in our modern New Testaments, uh, where you go Acts, Romans, so on and so forth, which I'll be honest with you, Makes more sense, uh, really, when you think about it. Um, lengthwise, um, things like that. I, I think that that makes sense to to go from the story of Paul directly into the epistles of Paul. Also makes sense. Uh, obviously, if you if you place a, a tremendous amount of weight upon the traditions of the early church. I, I don't think that anyone really has any idea as to why the ancient manuscripts had the order that they did, or why that would necessarily have some kind of, I don't know, theological significance to it. Man, there are a lot of evangelicals that do think, however, that the order of the canon as it exists today, well, which didn't exist back then, but as it exists thanks to Erasmus, uh that that has some theological significance to it. For example, how many times you heard somebody quote from the book of Revelation and quote from Revelation chapter 22 and say, hey, uh, it says don't add or take away from the words of this book. And then I've, I've actually heard people say, and I'm sure God knew, no matter when Revelation was written, I'm sure God knew it would be the last book of the New Testament. And therefore they will read into that warning a pan-canonical aspect. Because the warning is about the book of Revelation. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you've got to be fair. And lots of evangelicals try to span that out and, and say, see, this is, this is about Revelation, ends right there, last book written, all that kind of stuff. And it's just not a defensible position, uh, but people do it. And it's because, and, and I've often pointed out to people, the Jews did not have, have the same order of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh that we have. That's why people miss Jesus' statement in Matthew, 
when he says, uh, the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, slain before the altar, will be held against this generation. They're like, who? Uh, I remember Abel. I, I, was in, I, was, I was still awake. We got to Abel in Sunday school. <laughs> but this other poor dude, <laughs> no earthly idea. And that's because his story is found in a section of the Bible that a lot of Christians have never read. Uh, and that's in Second Chronicles. But everybody in Jesus' day knew exactly what he was talking about because Second Chronicles was the last book in the Hebrew canon. Uh, the Hebrew canon was the same as what we have today as Protestants, but in the order in which it's found. So you grab uh, your Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia back there, um, and you start looking for books, and you have the same thing you run into here. It's like, why is the canon order different? Um, and that's part of, that's one of the reasons you study church history. So I thought that was an interesting thread and it, it happened to pop back up on my, on my, uh, feed, right. As we were getting started, I saw it this morning. I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, so I thought I would uh, share that, uh, share that with you at that particular point in uh, time, but it is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. And we have at least... Uh, for the moment, in most countries, a greater or lesser freedom to engage in the celebration of what in the United States is called Thanksgiving. I know there's a Canadian, there's a Canadian Thanksgiving. It's different. It's earlier. It's not the same time. I realize that many of you in our audiences overseas, whether it be in uh, in Deutschland, uh, or uh, in, uh, in France, or down in South Africa, or Zambia, or you poor, poor people in Australia, <laughs> uh, even if we're still allowed on in New Zealand, which I'm not really sure we are, uh, wherever you might be, uh, Thanksgiving here in the United States is one of the last vestiges of the fact that this was founded as a nation filled with people who professed the Christian faith. You may be aware of the fact that our Constitution um, uh, does not establish religion, but in fact uh, says there, there is to be freedom of religion. But that establishment had a context. That establishment was the fact that there were a number of the colonies they came together as the states that formed the initial uh, union that already had established religions. And all that was saying, that, that that was not saying that those states could not do that. And that was not saying that there would not be an acknowledgement of the Christian God in the United States, which continued for a very long part of our history. Uh, up through World War II, you, you have, I have, I purchased, I think I've shown it to you, uh, on the dividing line before, I have found on eBay, you can find almost anything on eBay, uh, some things you shouldn't find on eBay, but anyway, uh, I've brought in a New Testament uh, that was handed out to soldiers in the army in World War II with a uh, note from the president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, in, uh, printed in the front, uh, recommending the reading of this uh, to to the members of the military. So this was not, you know, the the modern 
secular mythology concerning the history of the United States is just that. It's a mythology. Uh, there was never an, an intention to be neutral toward the fact that our entire legal system is based upon the idea that God created man in his image and therefore inalienable rights flow from God's creative purpose. So, uh, we had, uh, have had established, we've, we not only had in God we trust on our money and things like this, but uh, the holiday of Thanksgiving really is, is uniquely American. And we love to share it with others, and, and as Americans go overseas, they share these things, and so we know that there are uh, people overseas who likewise observe something similar to this, and I think it's wise and wonderful. But as a nation, there was a time when there was a recognition of Thanksgiving, and we all know inherently that that has changed, and we all know that the whole concept of Thanksgiving is so completely out of step with the emptiness of the secular worldview. Um, because Thanksgiving requires the giving of thanks to someone. Our website or with, uh, are we not streaming? Oh, okay. It... Oh, okay. All right. All right. I, I had to get Rich's attention there because Rich was busy with technical. He claims with technical things. Now, you got to understand, I'm a, I, I've taught so many times uh, in, in seminary classrooms and things like that. And I'm, I'm a peripatetic professor. I like to walk around the room. And I have caught people playing solitaire so many times on their computers as I walked around behind them, that uh, I've just become somewhat of a skeptic when, uh, when someone says, oh, I'm, I'm having technical issues here, you know. It's like, uh, okay, all right. But I believe that, that Rich probably is having technical issues with the tags right now. Huh? He says, don't make me push buttons. Okay, fine. Uh, well, given how everything is spliced together over there right now with all the cables leading into other rooms and things like that, pushing buttons might be a very bad thing to do. We're all fine here now. Yes, that's right. All right. We, uh, uh, Thanksgiving has really come to lose its meaning within a secular worldview for obvious reasons. There is no place for it. Ugly bags of mostly water. Fizzing chemicals, um, meat bags, whatever terms you want to use. What is the what is the worldview that can make sense of giving thanks? Giving thanks to a a merciless, unpurposeful system of laws that just happened to take the form that it did in a universe that is intent upon our ultimate destruction. Because we, we go against the laws of nature. We, we are highly organized systems of energy, and entropy doesn't like that. And anybody who knows standard physics theory knows that we're heading toward what's called heat death. 
the universe expands out and dies. Because <laughs> once, 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 once the mass is spread out over such a massive area that gravity uh, is, is basically nullified, um, everything dies. And so, and of course, we die long before that as the sun starts to expand and eventually consumes uh, Mercury and then Venus and then the Earth. Um, it doesn't go supernova. It's not big enough to go supernova, but uh, it expands be, and, uh, and cools as it, um, as it expands and eats the Earth anyways. So that's, that's, the, that's the good news of the secular worldview is that someday Earth will be within the orbit of the size of the sun. Yay, whoa, there's some transcendent meaning for you. Um, and then even if we manage to get off the planet by then, eventually uh, you have heat death and it all, it all comes to an end anyhow. And, uh, and that's it. So what, what is there to give thanks to? Who, who, there is no, there's nothing out there to give thanks to. And if you give thanks to the natural order, the natural order is going to eat you anyways. So there, this is a holiday uh, this is an, obser- a, a, an observance that the modern secular mind looks back at the pilgrims and just simply has to go, what foolish people. They left the comforts of England. Many of them died of horrible diseases over here. They died of starvation. They brought diseases with them that then killed Indians, the native population. Which, by the way, we're busily killing each other before we got here, just in case you're confused about that. But that's another story. Um, and so they, they look at this whole thing and they, and they go, we, we, why? There is no basis or foundation for any of this. And they find our giving of thanks to God to be one of the most incomprehensible acts that we engage in as human beings. It, it makes no sense to them. There's, there's no foundation for it. And so keeping that in mind, it is interesting to look at the appearances of the term in the New Testament and make some observations. It's, sometimes it's just really helpful. Uh, could you drop it down a degree or so, kick the fan on or something like that? Because that's, I know, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a, you're, you're pers- perfectly fine in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's going, you want the heat up. It's going to be a sharp program. Um, sometimes it's really interesting to just use the wonderful. Now, you could do this with certain kinds of concordances back in the uh, paper book days, which we may be going back to before long. Uh, don't throw out your, your paper books. Um, but it is interesting to look up the lexeme, the root form of a particular term, and look at its distribution in the books of the New Testament and see how it's used. And so you're probably aware of the fact that the term thanksgiving, the giving of thanks, eucharisteo is the, is the verbal form, and then it is used as a, as a noun for thanksgiving, the giving of thanks. And it's interesting that, for example, it's only found twice in Matthew. And 
it is found both times, interestingly enough, in regards to the giving of thanks in the eating of food. So uh, the seven loaves and fishes, remember that particular miracle in Matthew chapter 15? He took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, disciples in turn to the multitudes. And so one of the things you see immediately by looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke is this repetitive element of the giving of thanks in the reception of food. Again, something that is distinctly theistic minimally, but completely out of place in the secular worldview. There's, you, you're the one that paid for other people to gather the food. The idea of giving thanks to a pitiless, merciless, naturalistic system that we have to game to get us food does not make sense to the secular mind. But Jesus gives thanks and breaks the bread. And the same thing in uh, Matthew 26, 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, and of course this is in the Eucharist itself, the establishment of that thanksgiving meal, and it's probably really the the foundation of the utilization of that term, Eucharist, is there in Matthew 26, 27, when he had given, taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. So uh, in, uh, in Mark, same situation, exact same situation, um, where he gives thanks in the giving of the breaking of the bread in the miracles. And then again in Mark chapter 14, completely parallel with Matthew. The same two incidents, giving thanks, is what is, is given reference there. Now, there are a few more in Luke. Uh, for example, in Luke uh, chapter 17, uh, you have someone giving thanks to Jesus, the Samaritan that returns after being healed. He gives thanks to Jesus. And then in the story of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, uh, the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax gatherer. So you have Eucharisteo used inappropriately uh, in the giving of thanks by the Pharisee when he didn't really understand his own sinfulness. But then you also have uh, in Luke 22, um, you have the taking the cup and giving thanks and then, interestingly enough, in Luke, uh, two verses later, when he had taken some bread and given thanks. And so there seems to be, in the Lucan narrative, a little more detail, that there are two uh, incidents of giving thanks in both the reception of the bread and of the wine. So that's, that's an interesting aspect to it. Um, John, The Gospel of John has a, only two, and it's not the two that you would expect, you do have the um, John chapter 6 incident of the 5,000, but what's interesting, it's only said that there came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And isn't that interesting? I, I found that fascinating, that you would identify a location along the shore of the Sea of Galilee based upon 
where the Lord had given thanks, after they ate the bread and the Lord had given thanks. And it, it, did, um, it did make me wonder, and I, I don't know why I think about things like this, but it did make me wonder if there wasn't a time later in life, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that some of the people who were at those miracles uh, were, were in situations where they heard Jesus pray went back to those places and said, this is where the one who rose from the dead prayed, and he said this, or I heard him say that, or something along those lines. Um, and so here is, here is a, a place along the, the shoreline uh, where they ate the bread and the Lord had given thanks. There's a re- recollection of that. Um, you have Jesus giving thanks at the resurrection of Lazarus. So they move, removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I give thanks to you that you heard me. But those are the only two places in John, is John 6.23 and 11.41. Um, and then in, in Acts, only two places as well. Uh, Acts 27.35, and having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And Acts 28, 15, and the brethren, when they heard about us, came there from there as far as the market of Appius and three ends to meet us. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So, we can, I think we can very fairly say that in the historical and narrative portions of the Gospels and Acts, Giving of thanks is mentioned in passing. There is not a uh, emphasis upon that particular action that is laid out for us, emphasized in any meanly, meaningfully strong way. It is, however, when you get into not only um, not only just into Paul, but into Paul's epistles that are specifically addressed to churches and that his purpose is to help them to mature in Christ. So, Because, see, there are some Pauline epistles that are dealing with doctrinal issues, that are dealing with um, the Jew-Gentile issue, and those are, as we'll see, different in how often the term appears and the centrality of that term. So, it's common in Paul's greetings, Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So, there is the giving of thanks to God for the Roman church. Um, There is, interestingly enough, just in passing, in Romans 1.21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor his God or give thanks. Now that, we could stop and camp on that one for a while, because what that means is there is a creaturely necessity of thanksgiving to God. And in fact, it is a sign of rebellion and fallenness 
when men do not give thanks to God for simple existence. For though, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Those are the, the, the extent of general revelation in creation is to hold men accountable to honor him as God and give thanks. They are to be thankful. Um, but like I said, we could camp there for a while, but I'll just mention that in passing. Then in Romans 14, 6, he observes the day, observes if the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. There is one theme that has now been firmly established um, throughout the Gospels, Acts, and in the Romans, and we're using the Erasmian order <laughs> of the books of the New Testament. Um, some people think you shouldn't use Erasmian pronunciation. I, I will make this argument. For those of you who are all into this, you should only do modern um, Greek pronunciation stuff, uh, and you're, you're against Erasmus, then why are you using Erasmus's canon order? <laughs> I think you need to rebind your King James versions and go back to the pre-Erasmian um, canon order. How's that? Uh, <clears throat> Romans 14, 6. Uh, he who observes the day observes the Lord. He who eats does the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. So here's your, here's your establishment. I mean, so far, all the way through, what is giving thanks normally so far associated with? Well, one thing we can establish is, from the perspective of the Scripture writers, when you partake of food, you give thanks to God for the life that you have and the sustenance He provides to you. And that's not the same thing, you know, I went to a Southern Baptist church for a long time, well, my, my, my youth from sophomore year in high school, was at a Southern Baptist church. And a lot of the kids that had grown up in those types of churches felt it was a part of their maturity um, to not have to give thanks when they ate because they considered that to be legalism. Well, it wasn't legalism. Um, There is a clear biblical pattern of a recognition of one's creatureliness and one's dependence upon God for sustenance that has already been established, and we haven't gotten into the key utilizations of Eucharisteo uh, at, this, at this particular point in time. Um, then Romans 16.4, uh, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so there is the giving of thanks on his part uh, to those who had risked themselves for. But again, so far not a deeply theological emphasis upon the giving of thanks. First Corinthians, um, you have much more. You have, I thank my God always, verse 4 of chapter 1, my, I thank my God always concerning you, for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus. Then later on in verse 14, interestingly, in a completely different context, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, which is an interesting text we won't get into today. 1 Corinthians 10.30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I gave thanks? So there's two, two uses here within a text concerning, again, eating of food, giving of thanks, um, 
the assumption is that that's a given for uh, the Christian people. And then, interestingly enough, when, when Paul narrates the Lord's Supper, he follows Matthew and Mark and Luke, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. So the, the, Eucharist, the, the Eucharist prayer, the giving thanks, central to the definition of the Lord's Supper, uh, things related to it. First Corinthians fourteen seventeen. for you are giving thanks well enough, but the man is not edified. And so there, that giving of thanks is in the worship service and in regards to speaking in tongues. So that's a, a whole other uh, area. Second Corinthians chapter 1, um, you also joining and helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given to many persons on our behalf for the, behavior, for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. So thanks being given to people here rather than to God. Normally, thanks, if, if, thanks, if the object is not mentioned, it's normally assumed to be God. Um, but uh, there are instances of giving, giving thanks to, to others. So only once in 2 Corinthians, uh, twice in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.16, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So, you are getting a little bit more of the um, context there. And these are, again, primarily the, the verbal and participial forms that I'm looking at right now. Uh, so, th- things that, that are being done uh, concept. Uh, but always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So there we're starting to get into more of the theological aspect of what that, what that involves, always giving thanks for all things. It was interesting. I don't think I, I, don't think I mentioned um, the fact that I did – well, maybe I did. Yes, I guess I, I guess it – I don't remember. Uh, I did listen to the Doug Wilson debate. Remember that uh, on the subject uh, uh, of predestination election and, you know, does God predestine all things, things like that. And what was really interesting to me uh, was the fact that one of Doug's primary uh, arguments that he made uh, was that we are to give thanks to God for all things. And if God, therefore, is not sovereign over all things, there would, no be, there would be no reason to give thanks to God for all things. And so that the all things that a Christian experiences must be from the hand of God, or there would be no reason to give thanks to God for all things. Uh, that was an interesting, somewhat roundabout um, approach. Um, Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Uh, Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That one is descriptive of the mindset, the way of thinking, the, the whole life of the Christian is one of giving thanks to the Father. And that, of course, is seen very clearly in Colossians 3.17, which probably, I don't know, uh, if, if you've memorized a 
verse that uses the verbal form of giving thanks, this is probably uh, one of the ones that you've memorized or probably be the best candidate. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I mean, there is a, again, uh, a multi-week sermon series verse, especially for Puritans, (laughs) Um, because there is so much application that that would need to be made. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, there's so much. That's one of those verses, for example, where I've said many times, don't let those who deny the deity of Christ push you in a position of only arguing key texts and not seeing the full-throated, full-bodied evidence of the deity of Christ. This This is a text that I would list as teaching the deity of Christ. And you go... I don't know that I've ever argued with a Jehovah's Witness about that one. And you probably haven't. And you know why? Because we don't think of the ramifications of the things that are said about Jesus in the New Testament. So look at it again. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified... I'm sorry. uh, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all... In the name of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now you see the Unitarian hears that and sees the distinction between Jesus and God the Father, and says, "See, since I'm Unitarian, God is the Father; He's the only one who's God, and therefore um, that makes Jesus different." Well, the point is, you're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, all. Word or deed, all of life in Christ's name. And that this then is the context by which you then give thanks through him to God the Father. Such, can you imagine any created being having that kind of status? The the very idea that you would engage in every act and deed and word in the name of an archangel is just absurd to the picture of worship in the New Testament. And yet that's what certain people believe. This is a Trinitarian text. It makes perfect sense that you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. It's not confusing. There's no division. It's John 5 all over again. It's balanced. It's beautiful. And there you have one of the key texts of giving thanks through him, through Christ, to God the Father. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And 1 Thessalonians 2.13 key text. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So we constantly thank God 
that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men. Now notice the, the thing. Did you catch that? I, I know. Sometimes when people go through lists of verses, people just sort of tune out. Um, I, I get it. But did you catch what's said there? Um, I remember, I'm thankful my memories, my, my, my short-term memory, um, you know, we're, we're getting to that age where, well, actually, I think part of it, honestly, is cultural. And part of it is the computer stuff. Um, because I've, I've, I've run into 20-year-olds who report the exact same thing I do. And that is, I walk down the hall, turn to my office, and I'm going there to do a particular thing. And by the time I sit down at my desk, use my fingerprint to unlock my computer, I'm just sitting there staring at it going, why am I here? What, what did I come here to do? Um, who am I? Why am I here? Yeah, no, but it's like, well, there's stuff to do. I'll just do that until it comes back to me, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I'm not the only young people. And I, so I think it, that may be more the massive influx of everything rather than just age. But it, it could be age, I, I suppose. But I'm so thankful that we can remember things long in the past. And that sometimes all of a sudden a memory will come up that that I can't remember having thought about either since it happened or for many decades. But one of the most precious things to me, uh, you know, my school years meant a lot to me. And that's meant a lot of school years for me. So, But my school years meant a lot to me. And it's amazing how much I can remember from, uh, well, junior high, even grade school, junior high, high school, uh, but in Bible college, I was a double major, biology and Bible, minor in Greek. And so I remember who was in my Greek class. Not everybody, I'll admit that. Um, how we got down to, we got whittled down to 12 in our Greek class. And so everybody was wondering, who's going to be Judas? <laughs> who's who's going to be, because Greek tend to whittle people down. It really, really did. There were a lot, a lot of folks who wanted to do it at the start, but and having taught it many times myself now, yeah, it's, that always happens. Lots of folks come in that first week just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and <laughs> about about six weeks in, they ain't bright-eyed and bushy-tailed anymore. Uh, by, they've been skinned. Uh, but anyway, I remember the core group of guys that we had. And we sort of stuck together through, you know, about three years and uh, got to know each other. And uh, that's why the death of one of them uh, has been so uh, tragic in our little, our little group a number of years ago. But uh, I remember which books we translated in which year and how we were studying Greek syntax and, and which grammar we used and stuff like that. And I remember we translated... Uh, this text of 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2. It was in the year we were doing syntax. And this was a syntactically rich text. Let's put, just put it that way. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us 
the word of God's message. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. One of the things you have to do in second-year Greek is sentence diagramming. Now, that's why I say if you ever decide to learn Greek, and it's wonderful to do so, um, learn English first. Because we, we pretty much talked my English teachers in high school and junior high school out of doing any of that. They, were, they would much rather have read Shakespeare anyways. And so we pretty much talked them out of doing the grammar. Man, it, that, was a, that was bad. That was not a good thing. Uh, but I did do some sentence diagramming in English. And, but even to this day, any sentence diagramming I do is primarily uh, a... Uh, it, it's Greek acting as if it's as if it's English, and so I remember us sitting here. I don't remember who translated this particular text, but just look at the complexities here. The overarching statement is: we are constantly giving thanks to God for what that when you received from us, so you can give thanks to God. For the actions of others and your own. Because you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it is really is the word of God. So we were proclaiming it. So you have our actions. Then you have your reaction to our action. And that reveals the word of God to be that which performs its work in you who believe. And all of this, we give thanks to God for. You can't, you, you can't put that together. You cannot put that together in a non-decretal, synergistic world. Why are you giving thanks to God for these things? You should be giving thanks to them. That when you proclaim the word of God to them, they accepted it as the word of God. Because that was their decision, wasn't it? But Paul's giving thanks to God. Just things to notice. Things to notice. First, uh, First Thessalonians 5.18, of course, another one of the key texts in giving thanks. In everything give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Everything? Everything? Again, a stopping place for a sermon. Uh, one of the texts that Doug Wilson used in the debate. How can you give thanks for everything? How can this be God's will for you in Christ Jesus? If there are random things that happen that have no meaning, they have no purpose, because it's just how the world works, and all God's sovereign over is, you know, tsunamis and floods and earthquakes and stuff like that, but all that man stuff, man's sovereign over that. Okay. Um... That's not how he understood it. Uh, and then 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and love of each one, one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Why are you giving thanks to God for that? Give thanks to God for what they are doing. No, that's God working in them. Paul understands what this is. It's, it's God's word working in them. It's God's spirit working in them. And that's why God is given the thanks for these things. 
there is the, the whole idea of Thanksgiving within within the Christian faith is seen right there. Um, and then, of course, it's interesting. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians two thirteen is interesting, as is Second Thessalonians two thirteen. And don't get into numbers; those numbers were not assigned till when? When? Nope. Nope. But 1551, because that one doesn't have the, verse, the verses. I'm, I'm giving Rich a sudden quiz. He's not appreciating it very much, but I'm giving a sudden quiz. So 1551, Stephanus, uh, the, the chapters were already done. They were done in the medieval period, but the, uh, the verses were inserted by Stephanus right after the publication of that, right down there, 1550. So in 1551. So, uh, but, but it is interesting that both 1 Thessalonians 2.13 is theologically rich, as is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Entire sermon on that one, um, giving thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you, and there's a textual variant here, from the beginning or as first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. I would argue, and I think would have a solid ground for arguing, that that final line, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, if you're going to give thanks to God, the Father, for the sanctifying work in people's lives by the Spirit, then the next line is faith in the truth. You can give thanks to God the Father for the fact that their faith is in the truth. There's giving the thanks to God for what? Faith. Human faith. Another one of those texts uh, which would show that proper biblical balance and the thanks goes to God, never to man. In a synergistic system, it's a 50-50 split. Uh, Philemon, I thank my God always, making mention of my prayers. And then you have uh, one reference in the book of Revelation. Uh, in Revelation eleven seven. in one of the prayers, we give thanks to you, O Lord God, the Almighty, who art and who wast, because thou hast taken thy great power and has begun to reign. And so you have... Thanksgiving being given in the context of um, uh, of a prayer. Uh, so let me just grab one other thing here. We're we're running out of of time, um, but there are of course uh, numerous other texts uh, found in the Old Testament that would greatly enhance our understanding of thanksgiving. But there is also the noun form that is found in uh, the scriptures as well uh, for the giving of thanks. And so you have such passages as 2 Corinthians 4.15, uh, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundance gra- that abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Rebound to the glory uh, of God. Um, uh, 
provide that uh, – the giving of thanks to God is part of his glorification. Let's put it that way. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.15 makes that clear. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is producing what? Thanksgiving to God. It is producing. This is something that should be produced by the work – by the work of the Spirit within us, when we are being sanctified, we are being made thankful people. Thanksgiving is being produced within us in, uh, in, that, in that way. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.12, For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings, Eucharistias, to God. Now, these are, these are the substantival uses. So I did the verbal ones first, and here's the substantival uh, uses, noun form uses. And that, of course, is where you get Philippians 4, 6. Some of you are probably wondering, why didn't you go to that one? Again, it's the difference between verbs and nouns. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So there is a very important aspect of the attitude of the heart. And I think this is what is so abhorrent to me about the word faith movement. Because when you command faith, I mean, you saw the idiocy, sorry, you saw the foolishness this week of Kenneth Copeland having people put their hands on their bald heads and speak hair to grow. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, as I said on Twitter, I expect, yes, I, I expect a, um, I, I expect a she bear to come out from, from behind the, the curtain and take him out. Um, the, the attitude that Jesus is commending to us when he talks about believing and God will do these things. The basic assumption is seen here. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The thankful heart is a content heart. The thankful heart is a heart if you're truly thankful for what you've got, then you're content with what you've got. We show our lack of contentment by the fact that we may thank God for our newest toy. But parents, you all know what I'm about to tell you. You've seen it. We've all gone through it, and we all did it. You're sitting around the Christmas tree, and the boxes are opened, and there's been the squeals of delight. How long does that last? And that tells you how truly thankful someone is for what they received. And that remains true for us adults. So, contentment comes with true thanksgiving. And the whole basis of the Word Faith Movement is an utter rejection of contentment. So there's no thanksgiving when you're telling God you need that brand new Camaro. That's not being, that's not supplication with thanksgiving. 
It's just the opposite of it. It's the negation of it. And so what makes... When, when, we, when we talk about powerful prayer, we, we always look at this backwards because we're looking in time toward eternity from below toward above. We're always looking at it backwards. When Jesus said, whatever you ask, believing you shall receive, he meant it. But he meant it in this context. The person who in prayer and supplication asks to God with thanksgiving is a person whose will is submitted to the will of God. A person in contentment. And so if you are walking in the center of God's will, of course he's going to move that mountain because that's where God's will is going to take you. But this idea that you get to tell God that you're a little God on earth, oh, goodness, I cannot imagine the condemnation that will come upon those who have perverted the scriptures. And I, I, I shake to think about it. I really do. I really, really do. Um, Colossians 2.7, i got to hurry here. Having been firmly rooted... And now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with an Eucharistia. Overflowing in it. You want to know what a mature Christian is? There's the description. That's one of the best descriptions I know of. Firmly rooted. Being built up in him. Established in your faith. Just as you were instructed. You don't take credit for it. God used others to instruct you. Just as you were instructed and overflowing with Eucharistia. That's the same term, overflowing, abounding with thanksgiving. Abounding with thanksgiving. There's a description of a of a uh, true Christian. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's, it's literally uh, Gregor Untes uh, being alert, uh, being focused in it, en alte, in prayer, en Eucharistia. In thanksgiving. In the, it, it, it surrounds all of it. This is, this is the description of proper prayer. Um, really quickly, 1 Timothy 4.3, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, so that's, that's with, uh, that's, that's the gratefully shared part. And for everything created by God is good, and nothing is rejected if it is received with gratitude or with Eucharistia, with thanksgiving. And then finally, the last reference, Revelation seven twelve, another of the prayers found in that wonderful book. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and Eucharistia. So you've got doxa, kaihe sophia, kaihe Eucharistia, kaihe teme, honor, kaihe dunamis, power. Uh, and iskus, strength, uh, to our God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, these are to be given to God. These belong to God because God is the creator of all things. So, uh, thoughts from the concordance, I guess you might say, uh, looking at what we need to be thankful for. So let me just, we're going to go over by half a minute here, but 
none of this is changed when God calls his people to walk through deep darkness. May sound great to be able to do this when we've got all of our gadgets, we've got our houses, and we've got our cars, and we've got our uh, retirement accounts, and we've got our health insurance, and we've got peace, and we've got freedom, we can travel over the world, and that, what if we don't have any of that left? Well, that's all taken away. Um, do these commands cease? Does, does, do do our, our prayers no longer need to be with thanksgiving? Now, I'll just close that story because it has hit so many, 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 many people. Um, the story from the hiding place where uh, the sisters are in Ravensbrück concentration camp and they are transferred to this huge dorm type thing. Uh, and in the center where they're put, these stacked up bunks with rancid hay. I can't imagine what it smelled like. Filled with fleas. Filled with fleas. And Betsy's like, oh, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I mean, they've, they've been through so much. And death and deprivation and, and, and all of these things. Um, and she's almost to the point of... I, her sister says, we, we have to give thanks to God in all things. And she's like, I can't. I cannot give thanks to God for these biting, itching insects. I can't do it. And not long after that, they have their hidden Bible. They're able to start doing Bible studies. They're seeing God doing such amazing things in the women's lives. And all of a sudden they realize, we've never been interrupted in doing any of our Bible studies. Why not? Because the guards never come in here. Why do the guards never come in here? Because of the fleas. They know the fleas are there. So they never come in. And so they have free reign. Free reign to do whatever they want to do in ministering the Word of God. And for that, they gave thanks. For that, they gave thanks. They obeyed. God blessed. Uh, I would have been with her. <laughs> I, God, I can't, I can't do it. I, I can't. But you think of any of those situations, any of those situations of persecution, deprivation, difficulty, you can't do it right now in and of yourself. The, the Spirit of God is not limited as to where he can go. And that is our greatest, uh, our greatest hope. And, uh, and So, for those of you who have freedom to gather with your family, we're gathering with, uh, with part of my family that's here in the Valley. And with our grandkids, so I will have that opportunity to have kids run around in the front yard and the backyard. I imagine Waylon will be, you ought, you ought to see, he can get up above the top of the house in our tree in the front yard. Uh, I mean, he's straight up that thing. 
Um, and uh, so you know, you know, you've got taking pictures of the grandkids in the in the tree and and all the other stuff that you do with with grandkids. And uh, uh, we're gonna have Christmas pictures taken at church uh, next uh, next Sunday before the service starts. And so we got uh, Kelly got. Uh, Christmas dresses for the girls, and uh, it's just so much fun, and um, all that type of stuff going on. And we also have a, a, a fairly new couple from the church that's uh, going to be joining us uh, for uh, Thanksgiving as well. So we have the freedom to do that. Um, we do not have to worry about um, the Gestapo uh, breaking into uh, our house uh, because there's going to be two, four, eight, ten of us uh, in, in the house, uh, and only one turkey, um, and two cats, but one of them will be long, long away. Uh, one of them does not like visitors. But um, we don't have to worry about that too much. But some of you do. I realize that. And so our prayers are with you. And some of you are simply in situations where even having the funds to have the food might be a real challenge. But I hope in the midst of all of it, wherever you are, in the United States, overseas, wherever you are, that you will take time this week to truly think about the importance of Thanksgiving. Not the day, the attitude, because it is the work of the Spirit of God in His people's hearts to have Thanksgiving and contentment as to what He calls them, where, where He calls them, and what He calls them to do. That, I think, has been very clear from our looking at the Scriptures today. Our plan right now, Lord willing is to be back on Friday. Uh, in the United States, that's called Black Friday for some reason. That's where all the businesses used to go into the black uh, as the Christmas uh, shopping season started. I don't think anything is normal this year. And I will say one last thing. I don't know what Thanksgiving and Christmas is going to look like in 2021. I don't know. I've been hearing things and reading things and I mean, there's stuff out there that's just... This isn't conspiracy theory stuff. It's published stuff. It's, it's, we are being wide open. This is what we want to do globally. And it could have a huge impact upon what Christmas and Thanksgiving of 2021 may be or may not even be able to be. So whatever you do, don't waste this time with trivial pursuits and sports and things that will have no lasting eternal value. Value what you have now. Be thankful for it. Because we don't know what the future may bring. We know God does and God will sustain. But God's sustaining of his people does not mean the continuation of the giving of gifts of stewardship. That is, God can give, and as Job said, God can take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Will we, like Job, not sin with our mouths if we see some of those blessings taken away from us? That is the question. That is the question. So we give thanks for you for watching today. Lord willing, we'll see you on Friday. God bless. God bless.